Welcome to season three of Diary of a Pandemic. Diary of a Pandemic is a personal development podcast that lives at the intersection of two framing truths. The first is that there's a global pandemic happening as we speak. The second is that unconditional freedom is freedom in all conditions. Two transformational coaches, Kianga Ford and Rachel Paz, set out to explore the path to unconditional freedom in the context of living in unprecedented times and meeting whatever the Rona brings with full responsibility for what it wants to teach us about how to get free. A couple of months into this project, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis on top of a growing list of incidents of police violence against people of color. While our lives were quieted by the context of Corona, this captured our collective attention and led to widespread action around the deeper issues of systemic racism. As a black woman and a white woman, we have different vantage points on this moment. And we think there's a contribution to be made here by taking a deeper look at race through those perspectives. For the next 21 days, we'll be having an unscripted conversation about race, what's present in our lives around it, and what is our work to do to make possible a new conversation that leads to freedom for all. So we are on day 10 of 21 days on race. And if you are wondering who we are, because you have not been here for the previous nine days, I am Kianga Ford. This is my partner, Rachel Paz. And together we form the project organization consultancy, Becoming Free Humans. And this all came up because we are in a little less than a week's time embarking on a course that looks at race deeply through a series of intimate conversations uh, as a group course. It's called the Intimate Allies. And it was our prompt for really kind of coming and sharing some of the conversations that we find ourselves daily having about race. And it takes Rachel a moment to catch up to us while she's sharing all the things on the different media. I'm so here now. I like to I like to make the intro and let the people know who we are. And each day we kind of find ourselves really within the frame of a particular theme about race. And we don't always know what these will be. These are completely unscripted conversations. But we do have a pre-call where we just explore what's present for us. And so that kind of determines who gets to start with the ball. and. The ball today is Rachel's from our pre-call. All mine. Let's see. So um, I was on a hike yesterday, and while I was on my hike, I was having a conversation about um, dating and relationships, really. And before I tell you what that conversation was like, I want to, I actually want to go back because in the course of that conversation, my brain was doing some things. And I think it's important to sort of share what my brain was doing before I tell you the story of what happened. So I think I mentioned in one of our earlier conversations about um, something I had heard from the author Ibram Kendi, Kendi um, where he articulates that um, white people in general um, think of, um, are, are willing to consider white people as individuals who live on a spectrum. So there can be um, white people who commit crime, there can be white people who um, achieve at the top ranks of their fields, 
and sort of anything is possible in this large um, spectrum. And, and um, generally when white people think of people from other races, um, we don't extend the same um, idea of there being a spectrum. So we categorize them as a group and what is true for one is true for all. And so this has been something that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. Um, and so yesterday in my conversation about, um, about dating, I was articulating, um, well, it started with a discussion around smell. And I was saying how smell is really important to me, right? Uh, the way a person smells like um, can often really make or break whether I'm interested or attracted. <clears throat> and um, and I, it was interesting because I sort of heard Kianga's words from a few days ago echoing in my head of like, well, smell is sort of a learned preference and, um, and we, can, we, can, we can accustom or acclimate ourselves to any particular smell. It's not really about whether one smell is good or bad. So I was just sort of holding that in the side. But what I was sharing um, with my hiking partner was um, that my, my experience of dating Asian men has been that, and there have only been a few, but my experience of dating Asian men has been that like there was something about the smell that for me didn't click. <clears throat> and so in the course of our conversation, I was sort of wondering out loud, huh, is that, is that something that has led me to, um, to sort of closing the door to Asian men as potential partners? Um, have I been, did I take that information from the few Asian men that I've dated and go, yeah, there's something about, and, and make a blanket statement with it. There's something about that. There's something about the way Asian men smell that doesn't work for me. And so therefore I don't want to date any Asians ever because that will never work for me. And so I was sort of willing to wander in this territory and really like honestly saying things out loud and, and being curious about my position there. Um, and the person that I was with was like, well, yeah, I hear you, but is that actually what you know to be true about how you interact with the world? And I was like, hmm, no, it's actually not, right? I, 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 can return to the truth for me, which is that that's not the way I navigate the world, um, whether in dating or really anything else where I sort of draw these blanket conclusions and everyone or everything that looks remotely like that then gets excluded if it's been part of my experience that hasn't been desired. Um, so it was really interesting for me to see um, my willingness to wander in that direction to kind of entertain that truth like, huh, I wonder if I've been unconsciously acting this way. And then also to have it be like, but wait, like, fine that you wondered, but also the truth of the thing that you've been, you know, that you were willing to wonder about is that you know that's not how you are in the world. And for me, I, I think that the, the last thing I want to say really is that for me, it was really a helpful exploration, right? Even though I ended up back kind of in the same place that I started, which was I've had a couple of experiences with Asian men where 
I didn't feel that like click of like pheromonal attraction based on smell, right? And I also don't think that it has precluded me from being open to having that happen. Um, but it was useful to swing the pendulum the other way to be like, well, what if it's, what if it's true because there's something that you haven't actually been willing to see or pay attention to? Um, I think just allowed me some space to really like, op like open up to the possibility of that and then to actually feel whether it was true or not. Mm -hmm. And that was a really important piece for me. Right. When we first started talking about this, I was like, oh, that feels a little dangerous, right? Because it feels like for the people who are already resistant to trying on a new way of seeing or thinking about the limits in their way of seeing, if they just presuppose that the new way of the proposed way is not true for them, then they end up staying on their original spot in a way that's unchallenged. And because I, I love a good theory and a good articulation, I just started to look at, okay, what would those spots be named? And so if we look at the first spot as the habitual truth, right? Like this is the thing that you believe is the truth. It's kind of the habit. Um, you have this information that you've collected, these experiences you, you, that you've collected about um, through your encounters with Asian men. And you don't believe that those are shaping your experience in the world or your dating choices in any way, right? But then you move over to the propositional truth, right? Which is, suppose it has been, right? Let's just, let's just play with that for a minute. Suppose it has been that those experiences are having you make decisions about Asian men as a whole, mm -hmm. right? As a group. Suppose so. I actually think that it's the distance between the habitual truth and the propositional truth that allows you to see the sort of new truth or the possibility and have, have a new level of awareness, right, on the spot. And I don't think that it works to just say, oh, because I don't think that the proposed truth, right, like the propositional truth is about me. I'll just stay on this habitual truth. Then you're in the same spot. If you go actually all the way to let me play in the propositional truth, then there's a new location that becomes available. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like what, what is available for you in the new location? What's your awareness? What's your insight? You know, I, th I think what feels the most accurate at this moment is, um, I, well, I got to see a spot where I was willing to look at, am I treating, am I treating groups as a representation of the individual? Mm -hmm. And in this particular location, it feels clear to me that I'm not. And so... I think, I don't think it ends the exploration. I think it is actually calling for, okay, we'll look at that more and look at that in various contexts and look at that to see 
if, I mean, in particular, like, um, how do I want to say this? Like dating and intimate relationship are something that I, um, really use like this inner truth and knowing to navigate. Right. And so for me, it almost becomes impossible to look at one person as a group, uh, or a group as one person. Um, and so there's a curiosity there where I want to extend those examples, extend the context to just see it, to try it on in other locations with other groups, with other individuals, with, um, with other experiences that I've had so that I can, it's almost, it almost feels like a, a data collection of fact finding of like, okay, well, so you found one instance in which it is true that you're not assigning um, meaning to groups based on your experiences with an individual, go look some other places and see if that still holds true. And go look in some, um, um, some places that are perhaps a bit more, um, distant isn't quite the right word, but some places that seem um, to have less personal impact. Um, does that make sense? I think what I heard there is uh, places that would be less driven by intuition, maybe. Possibly. Um, you know, how, <laughs> I have no idea, this is such a funny example, but I was thinking about um, the simple act of going through a grocery checkout line and um, what, like, what are the interactions that I've had with one individual, the grocery checker individual, right? And how do, like, do I extend those, um, my interaction or my experience with them to everyone, right? So it, it's, a, it's a silly example. It's not race related, but, it, and it, but it, it's also sort of inconsequential to my life, right? So I think that's what I'm pointing to is go to the places that are kind of inconsequential to see what happens there too. And I would say that it's also important to go hunting in these places that feel like they are about intuition, about calling, about magnetism, because those are also program informed. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think the thing that I see is that it's really important to move off the habitual truth. Right. And in the, the sort of first move, you create like a new form, like a new pattern. But when you keep going, you actually build the muscle. Mm -hmm. Right. So that you can begin to look at those things in real time. You can really you really have the muscle to scan your life for what kinds of conclusions am I drawing and how is this impacting the way that I'm making decisions, the way that I'm viewing the world, the way that I am magnetizing different opportunities and people to me. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time ever that we maybe did that in close to 15 minutes? Maybe. <laughs> Could be. Could look be. at that. Well, as we as we come more to the conversation, we don't have so much to do with setup, right? We can just kind of dive into where we are in any particular day. 
That feels pretty complete. And we have 11 days left. We would love to be able to speak directly to your questions, your feedback, your concerns, things you, topic areas you'd like us to take on. So you can post those in the comments. You can send us a direct message or you can send us an email at hello at becomingfreehumans.com. You can also do all those same things if you are interested in our six week course, Intimate Allies, which starts next Saturday, a little less than a week from today. We'll be doing a lot of self-reflection, a lot of intimate conversations like these within the group. You can come on your own or you can bring a friend if you have a partner kind of like Rachel and I are, who you want to have the experience of going deeper with. So reach out to us, reach out to us if you have any questions and we will be back tomorrow. See you then. Awesome. We'll see you back here again tomorrow for the next installment of Diary of a Pandemic, 21 Days on Race. If you want to connect with us with your questions, reflections, inquiries about working together, joining us live on the podcast, or really anything else, drop us an email at hello at becomingfreehumans.com or through the messaging function of whatever app you're listening to this on.